Well, it is good to be with you today. Uh, as some of you know, I have a, a special place in my heart for church plants and the establishment of churches. Um, when I first came into the OPC in 1995, uh, we started the church mission work at that time in Joliet. Uh, well, New Lenox at that time, and Joliet soon after that. Um, that was 1995, and so I, I understand what it is to plant a church. I understand, by the grace of God, what it is to see a church established. And uh, I know what it's like to come together and uh, have a very small group, you know. And uh, I know what it's like, I was saying to Andrew earlier, uh, when you're a church planter, particularly feel this when you're a church planter, you don't ever want anybody to go on vacation. <laughs> you want everybody to be there. And you're so relieved when the vacation period is over. And it's very rare, it's very rare that everyone is at a worship service on the St. Lord's Day. That's extremely rare. It happens, but it's very rare. Anyway, be assured that it's a great joy for me and Sue to be with you today. And great privilege to bring the Word of God. Great privilege to worship together and to know that wherever God's people, wherever the people of Christ gather together, they gather in His name. That is precisely where the throne of God touches the earth. It does not matter how many persons are there. We gather in Jesus' name and the living God meets us here. So it's a great joy to worship together and to seek His face together and to know His readiness to meet us and work in us and speak to us. Great joy to know that when the Word of God is preached, Christ Himself speaks. And that's our expectation, isn't it? That's our expectation. We come not to hear a man, though the Lord uses His instruments, right? We come to hear our Savior speak to us, and we believe He speaks to us through this Word. And so we gather close around Him this morning as we read the Word, and then as we look to have it preached. So I'm going to read this morning from James chapter 1, the whole of the chapter, and just to say in advance, my particular interest this morning in this, in this sermon is to trace the particular theme through the whole of chapter 1, though we'll center in a couple points in particular, but it's to trace this theme through chapter 1, that is uh, speaking amidst trials, which is to say what we give expression to when we're in the test. So we'll trace that theme in a manner through, through this whole section. So, uh, James chapter 1, and I'll read the whole of the chapter. God's Word. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, and the rich in his humiliation. Because like a flower of the grass, heat will pass away. The sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. 
so also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not pride his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. God's word may you write upon our hearts. Let's pray together. Father, now we do look to you to do in us by your spirit what only you can do. We thank you that you've given us your word, that it is perfect in every way, eternal in the heavens. And we pray truly, Lord, that you write upon our hearts. Grant us the illumination of the Spirit this morning. And we thank you in advance that as you are pleased to help us in this and illumine us, none of us goes away unchanged. We thank you for this. And so we come in Jesus' name. Amen. As I said, uh, brothers and sisters, uh, I, I want to particularly think of this theme, this particular theme, I titled the sermon, Speaking Amidst Trials. Another way we could title it, it, it goes, would go like this, what do you say in your heart when you're being tested? What do you say in your heart when you're being tested? Because it is, uh, particularly when we are amidst trial or testing, that we give expression to what we believe. We speak, and that which we speak is very revealing. All of us speak. All of us give utterance to something when we find ourselves in a time of testing. Perhaps not aloud, maybe we just say it from our hearts. But all of us give expression to something when we're being tested and we say, 
what we give expression to when we're being tested is really revelatory of what we actually believe. So we all believe in the sovereignty of God, right? But we find out how thoroughly we believe in the sovereignty of God when we're being tested, don't we? Well, James has much to say about wisdom. Uh, the very first lessons that he brings by the Spirit of God have to do with wisdom amidst trial, wisdom amidst testing, how we're to think and act amidst the test, how true faith thinks, how it acts amidst testing. Now, in a fallen world, which we live in, both the believer and the unbeliever experience trials and difficulties. We all have that in common. Unbeliever, believer, we all experience trials and difficulties. However, because of God's saving purpose, because of his sovereign power and grace, trials have an entirely different purpose and outcome for the Christian. Only the child of God, we read it here in James 1, don't we? Only, only the child of God has reason to rejoice in trials. Only the child of God has solid comfort when he or she comes into testing. Trials in the hand of God produce in the child of God a greater dependence, as James puts it here, steadfastness. And he exhorts us, doesn't he? Let steadfastness have its full effect. So he's producing steadfastness amidst the trial, and he urges us by the Spirit of God to let that have its full effect, the steadfastness of its trial. Now what about the unbeliever? Trials, testing, for the one who lives in unbelief only produces frustration and anger, along with a greater self-dependence, usually, or maybe a greater dependence on other people. Frustration, anger, greater self-dependence, and oftentimes just more hardness, bitterness toward God. So it's the, it's the lot, we can say it's the lot of the child of God, brothers and sisters, it's, it's our lot and privilege and blessing to view trials in an entirely different way. Now think about that just for a moment. How different it is since you came to Christ. How different it is how you look at trials how you look at difficulty. Sometimes we forget how very different we are than what we once were. But you come to Christ, Christ doesn't work in your heart. You look at trials in an entirely different way than we once did. And that's to the glory of God, isn't it? And it's, it's a feature in which we could say our light shines all the more brightly. You know, out in the workplace, you know, where you mix with other people, folks who aren't more believers. And, and difficulty comes, and test comes, and you respond in an entirely different way than an unbeliever does. That shines very brightly in a dark world, but just now, you know, we think of the blessing that's ours. What a blessing. When you encounter difficulty, that by the grace of God, you see it differently 
than you ever did before. Now we need to be reminded of it. We need to be reminded of how we look at it, how we're to engage, how we're to think about it, right? But it's so different by the grace of God, by the work of the Spirit of God in us. We are so different. Praise God for that. So we know very clearly, don't we, that it's amidst trial. James says it here, it's amidst trial, that our all-wise God perfects our faith. We encounter all joy when we can encounter various trials. Now how so? I mean, how's that possible? Or why is it entirely reasonable for the believer to count it all joy? Well, first, because, we mentioned Sarvi Bell a few minutes ago, right? First, because we believe that God indeed rules the world. We believe he rules our world, right? My life. He rules in my life. He rules my world. He rules the whole world. This we believe. And we believe in his unceasing person to bless, uh, a purpose to bless us and to change us into Christ's image. Again, I'm particularly interested this morning in observing what is said concerning speech amidst testing. Speech, what we say, what we give utterance to, what we express amidst testing. For James does show us what we speak amidst trial, amidst testing. It's revelatory of what we really believe. We are then as believers to give uh, careful attention to what we say, what we utter, what we express. Maybe it's just in our hearts. You want to give attention to it, though. I presume most all of us in this room this morning are, have been undergoing some sort of test. Right? What am I giving expression to amidst that test? Revelatory of what I believe. As we'll see, this helps us to see whether ours is a disposition of trust or one of double-mindedness, of doubting. Do we truly turn to God in trust, or do we instead find ourselves doubting Him, questioning Him? Questioning His purpose, failing to really see or identify His purpose in the test that He brings to us. So this morning we consider these two main points. The response of faith amidst testing and trial and the response of double-mindedness, or we could say unbelief, double-mindedness or unbelief. I, I want to be careful how I put that because um, there is a sense in which the double-minded man is the unbeliever. That's sort of the classic idea of the, of the, of the double-minded man. But as Christians, we, can, we understand we can very much slip into double-mindedness in terms of our thinking about our tests. So, so those two main points, the response of faith amidst testing and then the response of double-mindedness amidst testing. First of all, the response of faith amidst testing or trial. Verse two, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. So here, and to count it all joy, ours, we could say, is to be a proper reckoning. That's the idea of counting it there. Ours is to be a proper reckoning about the test. I'm to speak thusly in my heart regarding the trial in which I find myself. And trials or tests come in all sizes, all shapes and sizes. In fact, the Greek word here is the, sorry, the idea of polka dot. All, all varieties. Trials come in all varieties, all shapes and sizes. Some tests are extended and very difficult. Now, maybe, again, maybe some of you this morning has been going, is going through an extended test. And you know what it is. Some tests are extended and difficult. 
Other tests are very brief and difficult. <laughs> They're all difficult, and that's the nature of a test, right? You're pressed, you're tried, you're being tested. But I'm to count it all joy, I'm to make a proper, a proper reckoning, we say, concerning the test. And I'm able to make such a reckoning because I know, or I should know, something very clearly about the test that I'm in. I know as a Christian, and James says it expressly here, doesn't he? I know as a Christian that it's God's purpose to test and refine my faith. Because my gracious God is my Heavenly Father who's brought this test to me. And he's testing me. He's refining me. He aims to produce steadfastness in me, and I'm exhorted here again to let steadfastness have its full effect. It has many effects, many uh, blessed effects. When you're in the midst of the test, you don't feel that, do you? When you're in the midst of the test, you feel the test, and you feel the difficulty of it, but I'm to be assured steadfastness has wonderful effects. This is what God's doing in me. This is what he's doing in us. We could define patience or steadfastness as continuing to look to God, to come to God, to trust in God, particularly amidst sustained or prolonged difficulty. Continuing to come to him, to look to him, to trust in him amidst sustained and prolonged difficulty. Now see here how James tells us that faith is very active. True faith is very active amidst trial. What's its activity? How does it show itself? What does it do? He's very clear about this. True faith prays amidst testing. True faith prays. Ours is a disposition of faith, or when ours is a disposition of faith, think about my theme here of speaking, of giving expression. When ours is a disposition of faith, we speak. We speak to God amidst the test. We speak to Him. So I'm to speak to God. James says, if any of you, see the connection here now, if any of you lacks wisdom, I think that's all of us, right? <laughs> if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. So I'm to pray. This is what I'm supposed to give expression to now. I'm to pray. I'm to come to him asking for wisdom. It's a prayer, and notice here, in fact, it's a very focused prayer. It's a prayer for, we can also say this, it's, it's a prayer, it's a marvelous thing, it's a prayer that we know will be answered. Isn't that wonderful? You come to God for wisdom, he will answer your prayer. He will. He will give you the wisdom precisely that you need in the test. That's a promise, very clearly here, right? It's very clear. So I'm to pray, I'm to come to him asking for wisdom. I come to God, I speak to God, I ask for wisdom, and I'm to ask in faith. 
James says, let him ask in faith with no doubting. So I'm to ask in faith. I come to God and I speak to God believingly. We could put it that way, right? I speak to him believingly. Which is to say, when I ask in faith, I am in effect confessing that God does indeed rule the world. And he rules my world, my life, to perfection. So we can say this, can't we? Whatever test any of us, each of us, any of us are going through at any particular point, you can know this, and we're to believe it, right? You can know and believe this. This test is perfect for you. It's perfect. Do you believe that? I know you do, but we need to be reminded of it, don't we? Because a lot of times we think something else is different about it, <laughs> or lesser about it. We despise the Lord's chastening, as the writer of Proverbs puts it, right? We, we, we think little of it. We think less of it. We're not thinking rightly about it. So when I ask in faith, I am in fact confessing that God does indeed rule the world. He rules my world and ever for my good. We believe, when we pray in faith, that God purposes this test for blessing to show me more of myself and his ways, which is to say to give me wisdom. And we're confessing as well that my great need is for wisdom. That's why he's bringing the test. That's my great need. I need wisdom. Think about all the Proverbs says. Do you know about the, the preciousness, the, the, the unsurpassed value of wisdom? Which is to say, uh, you can think of it in terms of the fear of the Lord too, I think, you know, this tenderness to the Lord, uh, to be rightly oriented to God and who he is, uh, what, what's that worth? It's worth more than you could ever, ever think of paying. It's worth more than rubies and gold and silver and all the riches in the world. True wisdom to know God. So when I pray in faith and I ask for wisdom, when I'm asking for wisdom in faith, I am in fact confessing, I am in fact believing, and I, as I pray in faith, that God does indeed rule the world, he rules my world, I'm believing this test is perfect, it's a perfect test for me, that he purposes it for blessing, and that my great need is for wisdom. Now that frames it, doesn't it now? I'm in the test, I'm in the test, how do I pray? How do I come to God? I say something like this, Lord, I know this is for my good. I know this is from your hand. I know it is perfectly designed according to your work in sanctifying me. It's perfect. So give me wisdom, please give me wisdom, you will. Give me wisdom as to how to please you in this test. That's what we learn to pray, right? That's what it means to ask in faith, without doubting. It's, it's, it's rather simple, isn't it? It's not complex. God doesn't hide from us. He doesn't make these things difficult. It's all pretty simple at the end of the day. That's what it is to ask in faith without doubting. Now the alternative to that is what James describes as double-mindedness. It's the response of unbelief. 
And we can respond. You know, we're, we don't. We, we, we can be reliable with this as Christians. We can respond to testing in an unbelieving way. We just forget what's true. And we don't really come to God. We'll talk about that here because we see it described here. The response to double-mindedness and its testing. James says, let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Now look carefully here. In a state of double-mindedness, James says, one may even pray. He makes that clear. One may even pray in a state of double-mindedness. But that one is not believing in God's perfect control and ordering. I may pray. Lord, get me out of this. But I'm not taking the time to consider God's purpose, to reflect believingly on his purpose. There are various forms that prayer takes when one is caught up in double-mindedness, when one's actually doubting God's purpose. I may pray, but I may pray rather angrily. Lord, why does this have to happen? See, now I'm, not I'm, not, I'm really not talking to God. I'm talking at him now, more so. Why does this have to happen? And when I pray that way, the sad result, I receive no wisdom. Why? I'm not seeking wisdom. I'm just blathering. I don't like this. Take it away. Why this? Why this again? James says that person does not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He doesn't receive wisdom. I'm not seeking wisdom in that case. But also this, when one's caught up in double-mindedness, one will actually find himself lashing out against God. And I've expressed that already just by the illustrations here, right? One will actually find himself lashing out against God. Notice verse 13, then. We went through this whole section. Notice verse 13. Let no one say when he is tempted, Interestingly, here the word for tempted and, and, and tested is the same Greek word. So you can, you can think of it either way. Um, so the one lashing out. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. You could maybe put it this way. Let no man say when he's being tested, I'm being tempted by God. So instead of speaking to God, as I put it among them, instead of speaking to God, instead of coming to him for wisdom, I speak about him in my heart. I talk about him in my heart. I speak at him. I complain about him and his dealings with me. I question him and his purposes. So think about this. Now, you can read this little section. Think about that verse you know, where he says, um, let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God. And it'd be easy to think, um, uh, well, we don't usually do that, you know. Who says, I'm being tempted by God? We usually don't use those words, do we? But that expression comes in various forms. So you've got to think about that. I, I doubt, I actually doubt any of us in this room have ever said, I'm being tempted by God. Probably not use those words. So you've got to sort of step back and say, oh, well, okay, what's he getting at here? <laughs> Then I'm actually, I can be guilty, I can be guilty of pretty frequently. 
I'm being tempted by God. That's a summation sort of statement by you. It's a, it's a, a condensed sort of thing. And you got to flesh it out. It comes in various forms. Like, Lord, this is too hard. Is it? Do I know that? Is it really too hard? I don't know what I'm talking about. If I believe, God is my Father. And all things work together for good according to them who love God. And God loves me more than I can grasp. I really believe that. This is too hard. That's just one form of I'm being tempted by God. Not this again. Another form. Not this again. I don't like this. I can't do this. I can't bear this. I've been set up to fail. This is against me. I don't have to do this. Ever said that? I don't have to do this. It's just another form of that being tempted by God. All of this is against me and I hate it. So, double-mindedness, when I slip into double-mindedness, instead of speaking to God, I speak about Him in my heart. It's further expressed in verses 19 and 20, which shows both sides of the matter, both alternatives. James writes, Know this, my beloved brethren, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness that God requires. So, the one who's learning to come to God to trust Him is... Quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Double-minded man, slow to hear, quick to speak, quick to anger. So when I'm complaining about, about God's dealings with me, when I have a bone to pick with him about my circumstances, I'm actually engaged in a slow burn beneath the surface. And then it comes out, right? Why this? I don't like this. Do I have to do this again? How long do I have to do this? Right. So I find myself lashing out against God to that degree that I slip into double-mindedness. Not only that, but I find myself lashing out against those around me. Verse 21. Therefore, you, get, you don't want to lose the context here. It's all, it's, he's saying the same thing all the way through, right? Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. I find myself lashing out against those around me. When, when, when we're discontent, and there's another way to describe this whole thing, right? When we're discontent, we want something other than our loving Heavenly Father has ordained for us. I don't like this. How long do I have to put up with this? How long is this going to go on? I don't have to do this, right? We're discontent. James says, put all of that away. I think he's really, he's describing that in fashion. He's describing that as, you know, this... Uh, 
filthiness and rampant wickedness, what can come out of our mouths, what can come out of our thought processes when we're not handling things well, when we're caught up in, rather in, in unbelief and double-mindedness. James says, put it all away. Receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. It's like he's saying, you know, stop talking. Certainly stop talking at God. Stop it. It's filthy. It's wrong. It's unbelieving. Stop it. Be quick to hear. Listen now. Slow to speak. Quick to hear. So you, you're quiet. You, you're quiet now, right? The Lord wants to speak to me here. You can be sure of this. But from all that's said in this section, right? The Lord wants to speak to me. And the test is something of a proof that he wants to speak to me. Not only that, the test is something of a proof that he really does intend to give me wisdom. I just need to come to him for it. He'll give it to me. When I ask for wisdom, I'm to be listening. And listening to a very specific source, receiving from a very specific source. We know what the source is, right? Here it is. I'm to be, I'm to be listening. Thanks to this source. But here we are this morning in worship, right? This is why we're here, to hear our Lord, our Lord speak to us. So, as I said a few minutes ago, I presume most all of us are in test, a test of some sort at this point in our lives. Some of us are, undoubtedly are, have been experiencing extended testing, which is very difficult. And I need to listen. So that's why we're here, isn't it? It's always sad to me as a pastor, and you, I'm sure you all agree, but it's always sad to me as a pastor when you know a person goes through difficulty, and you know the place they need to be is in the worship. Thing, which is to say, they need to be listening. But a lot of times, you know, a person will say, you know, go through difficulty, yeah, yeah, and, you know, Satan has all his arguments for this, right? Ah, oh, I'm not going to go to worship, you know, I'm not in a good state. Well, come to worship if you're not in a good state. This is the place to be, you know? Oh, it would be hypocritical for me to come to worship if I, you know, I'm really struggling, so it would be hypocritical. I mean, Satan's an expert arguer about these things. It'd be hypocritical of me to come to worship when I'm, when I'm, uh, I'm you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just not doing well, I don't feel good, you know, I'm, things are bad right now, and, you know, it'd be wrong with me. If I come to worship, you know, I want to be, I want, I want things to be right in me. Okay, good, but how do they get right? <laughs> it's by coming to worship. The means of grace. Preaching of the word. Administration of sacraments, prayer. That's where I want to be, right? Why? Because God will speak to me here. Uh. By the way, it's always lovely to see children in worship. This is why we have our children in our worship, right? Because it's good reformed folks, or I should maybe needy reformed folks. <laughs> it's good reformed folks. <laughs> We believe a certain thing about worship, don't we? Like we said a few minutes ago, you know, when we gather together in worship, we believe this is the place where the throne of God touches the earth. 
And where the word is preached in the power of the Spirit, we believe Jesus Christ himself, the great prophet of the church, Jesus Christ himself speaks. Now, I want my kids in the worship for that reason. And I want them to listen. They learn this, don't they, across time. Hats off to parents who are dealing with this right here. You're teaching your children to sit, right? You're teaching them to listen. And you do that in your home devotions, and you, you start preparing them for being here because you're, you're, you're teaching them to listen now. Listen, 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 because you want them to hear what Christ is saying. And we got to understand this about kids too. Uh, they pick up far more than we think. They do. They really do. You know, sometimes they're occupied, you know, they're like, mm -hmm, like this, and then you go home and you discover everything they actually heard, right? This is why we don't have kids' church. This is why you don't. Same reasons, right? You send them out, you know, him entertain, right? No, 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 no. This is where it's happening, right here. This is where Christ speaks. So, to our lesson. I'm in the test, I come to Christ, I come to his word. We can think of that answer that he gives us, James gives us throughout this chapter. We're to ask for wisdom of God. We're to be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. And we're to receive with meekness the implanted word. You'll find it in this. What I speak, how I speak, what I give utterance to, is the measure of true religion. That's what James says, isn't he? Verse 26, if anyone thinks he's religious and does not write his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. What I give utterance to is revelatory of what I really believe. What I give utterance to is revelatory of, of religion. What my religion really is. In all areas, speech is a vast area, right? But what I speak comes from my heart. And if my heart's been changed, as it's being changed, I learn to speak in different ways. <laughs> I speak in a new way. The Lord changes my speech. Because, of course, he changes how I think. And he changes how I think about testing. And he gives me insight, he gives me a view of who he really is and what he really does. Yes, uh, trials, tests, they come in all shapes and sizes. Some tests are extended and very difficult. Other tests are more brief and very difficult. But I'm to see my Savior's hand in all of them. Christ is on the throne, we believe this, don't we? And he rules the world. And he rules your world and my world.
He rules Decatur, although I think that's sometimes that's hard to believe, you know. He rules Washington, D.C., that's really hard to believe. But he rules in my world, doesn't he? And oftentimes that's hard for us to see, because you can only see it by faith. So when the test comes, as the test comes, you want to see it for what it is. It's from the hand of our God. As for our good and blessing, what do I believe? What must I not doubt? Our call to believe in the sovereignty of God, as we said, that He really does control the world, and He most wisely and powerfully controls my world, my life, all of the circumstances. I mean, this is amazing to think of God and His sovereignty. You know, just there's that we understand. I mean, there's, there's that sense in which. All of his attributes outstrip everything we can think. They really do. So when we say God is silent, we don't, we don't mean he's just a bigger version of us. He's the creator, we're the creature, and when we think about his sovereignty, it outstrips anything we can grasp. He controls everything. You believe that? I know you do. Everything. I'm called to believe that. And that he is wise and he's good in everything that he brings to me. I'm to believe his generosity, his goodness in this sense, we've said that when I come to him for wisdom, he will give me wisdom. It's a promise. He will. It's beautiful. <laughs> He'll give me the wisdom that I need. And of course, it's the, it's the wisdom that's from above. It's it, the nature of that wisdom, of course, it, it, it brings me into deeper communion with Him. It deepens my fellowship with Him. That's the nature of this wisdom. It just it doesn't, it doesn't just make me smarter than you know smarter than anybody else. You know, the theological. Uh, oh, let me get this right. You know. So I'm a really smart guy, you know. It brings me into greater tenderness with Christ. That's what it does, this wisdom. Brings me into closer communion with him. But I'm called, yes, to believe in the priority of wisdom above all else. That's going to be my great, uh, that, that is my great need. And my loving Heavenly Father is so ready to give it to me. So we rejoice this morning, brothers and sisters. Uh, you have it written across the back of the sanctuary there. Jesus is Lord. He really is. Jesus is Lord. He's my Lord. He's your Lord. My loving Savior is in control. And He works. He does all things together for good to them that love God. And He is training me. He's disciplining me. Not in wrath. All the wrath is gone. He disciplines me in love. He's shaping me. So it's not a, it's not a, a retributive discipline. It's, it's a shaping discipline that he's engaged in. And we rejoice in that. We rejoice in our Savior. Hymn writer puts it this way. Father, I know that all my life is portioned out for me. 
The changes that are sure to come, I do not fear to see. I ask thee for a present mind, intent on pleasing thee. I ask thee for the daily strength to none that ask denied, a mind to blend with outward life while keeping at thy side. It's a good expression, isn't it? A mind to blend with outward life while keeping at thy side. Content to fill a little space if thou be glorified. What a savior we have who never lets go of us. What a savior we have who faithfully shepherds us and teaches us even when we're dull, even when we're, uh, he sees entirely what we're like, right? <laughs> he knows us exactly, exactly what we're like. And he never holds his nose. He leans into us, always. He leans into us. So we praise him for that. Let's pray for that. Uh, we thank you that you remind us this morning of your gracious care for us. What a wonder it is what you've done in us. You've transferred us out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of your dear son. Everything has changed. We're no longer the slaves of sin. We've come under the dominion of the spirit and of grace. Everything has changed. And we thank you this day, even as we're here, intent on listening to your word, you change us from one degree of glory to another so that none of us goes out unchanged, though we may not perceive it fully. We usually don't. But none of us goes out unchanged. We thank you for this. We bow before you. Lord, give us that grace, we pray, to see your hand in our lives, to come to you, to ask for wisdom, knowing that you delight to give it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.